And it doesn't mean that you're cheating. It means that you actually care more about the moment to say, I did some work ahead of time to serve this moment, to say, I've got my fundamentals in place so I can show up for, for the moment with more intent. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to the Humanly Possible podcast. This is the podcast that reminds us that being imperfect humans is our greatest competitive advantage. Listen in and be inspired by other humans who have taken missteps and experiences and failures of their own and recovered by making small one-degree shifts that made massive differences. Uh, This week, I am really excited to have a friend, keynote speaker, um, best-selling author, Phil Jones. Do you go by Phil M. Jones or Phil Jones? And both depends. It's to you, it's Phil Jones. To the rest of the world, it's Phil M. Jones. Because otherwise, I get confused with a Manchester United soccer player. So the M is important for Google rankings more than anything else. <laughs> so we've got Phil M. Jones to you all out there, who's the best-selling author of Exactly What to Say, Exactly How to Sell, and Exactly Where to Start. He had his first business at just 14 years of age and is the youngest recipient of the British, British Excellence in Sales and Marketing Award. And to date, Over 2 million people across 59 different countries have benefited from his lessons. And as a result, they now know exactly what to say, when to say it, and exactly how to make more of their conversations count. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Thanks for being here. Um, I wish I knew exactly what to say, but um, I'm going to jump right in and, and talk to you a little bit. I, I do actually know what to say. Um, one of the things that I do want to talk to you about is just the little shifts that you've faced in your own career. You've I, So first and foremost, 59 different countries. Is there a country you haven't been to? Yeah, there's like 200 or so countries around the world. There's lots that I haven't been to. And, and 59 sounds epic. One of the coolest things, though, is when you do a chunk of work through Eastern Europe, you can do like 11 countries in a real short period of time. Like they're they're close. True, there's, a lot, there's a lot in that cluster. So that counts for a big chunk. When That's you, when true. That. And like 50, 50 feet each way, it's like you cross yeah, a different yeah. country. Right. Um, so that's true. Uh, what is the, what's the, the top country that you'd like to visit that you haven't been to? Um, well, I've done five continents. I've got two more continents to be able to check off for me to bucket list this speaking career thing. And that's Africa and Antarctica. So I want to do Antarctica, but it needs to be a legit fee-paying gig, which makes it harder, right? So if you've got avenues or routes into that, can help me with a little one-degree shift in my marketing that means that the Antarctica becomes possible, I'm all game. All right. Well, you guys heard that, so let's, let's help him out on that. Um, so let's jump right in. What's one thing that felt small at a time, but ended up being a big shift for you? I guess even the the whole idea of becoming an international speaker as opposed to being a business speaker. And I remember being at a 
Professional Speakers Association event probably a decade or so ago. And I was listening to a guy called Graham Codrington from South Africa. And Graham talked about the idea of if you want to expand your network as a, as a professional speaker, you need to stop thinking small about the country you live in and expand to international reach. And that all sounded great. And then he said, though, but some of the things that you might need to do to be seen as an international speaker is show that you're open for international business. I thought, well, what does that mean? He said, well, if you don't have plus four, four, which was the area code for the United Kingdom on your phone number, nobody from outside the country has any idea how to call you. Therefore, you are not open for business for international markets. If you don't price in United States dollars, you are not open for international business. And that sequence of little nuggets of information meant that I went through a number of minor reinventions in the way that I set my stall out that meant when I showed up for international business, I looked like I was ready for that market. And I think that was probably a, you know, a big little thing that certainly from a professional speaking point of view made a, made a fair size difference. But there's been literally thousands of them, Brian, through my career that are you know, microscopic differences that have gone on to make giant, giant differences in the long term. So your, your topic of exactly what to say, um, when you think about that, is there a small shift or two that you can share that, um, that has changed the perception or, or perspective of how people can really jump in to saying the right thing? For certain. And there's a section in the book that I call Simple Swaps. And I'll share an example from that is following every major presentation in a sales presentation or a a leader addressing their team or anything that way around is a common way to end that presentation is to say the sequence of words. Do you have any questions? When you finish a presentation with the words, do you have any questions? What you've often suggested to the other group of people is that they should have questions. However, your presentation should have answered all their questions, so you should be in the knowledge of understanding that they don't have questions, but you've just suggested that they should have questions so that they feel like they should have questions, but you know that they don't have questions and they don't have questions, which now they feel confused when they weren't confused prior. So they say things like, I need to think about it, or they go away thinking I must have missed something. If you change the words from, do you have any questions, to what questions do you have for me, you create a simple pathway that they say no questions. If they say no questions, it means they've got all the information that they need to make a decision in a buying environment. It also means in a leadership environment, it means that they've received all the information. Therefore, you can then assume that they can take the actions that follow. So a simple swap in words from do you have any questions to what questions do you have for me can make a profound difference to the outcome of the other person. Cool. So that's so cool. Uh, when did you get first invited into wordplay or excited? I never about got invited. I never got invited. You don't get invited into things that you get to be cool at. Um, you just take it. And, and more often than not, you don't realize that you've got good at something until long past you've got good at something. I was in a senior leadership role from a very early age. So I was leading teams of people at 18, leading teams of people at 21 in a senior leadership position in my mid-20s. And there's a thing that you get as a young leader in that you instantly get prejudged as non-credible. And that was one of the greatest gifts I ever got because I would never go into a leadership result uh, position expecting respect. 
I learned real quick, you had to earn it. And I also learned that one of the best ways that I could communicate a new way of doing things to other people is not to share my opinion, but to share the successes of others. That if I wanted Brian Kramer to do something differently, I'd say, Brian, one of the things that I've seen dozens of other great speakers do is, and I'd position it through third party, you'd buy my ideas more freely than you would do. But for me to understand that was a great vehicle for me to be able to share an idea with somebody was to share the experience of somebody else's. I had to study the behavior of others. As I would study the behavior of others, particularly in a sales fashion, is I would learn the biggest difference between those that did good and those that really crushed it. Well, the ones that crushed it, they knew exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count. They'd taken the time to be able to put minutiae into their repeat pattern speaking that resulted in them achieving results outside of others. And everybody else was saying, if you just try harder, if you just speak to more people, if you just better understand your product, if you just, if you just, if you just, yet the real masters were like, well, yeah, well, that's true. And what you really need to be able to work on is that in all the moments that it matters is that you find the right words at the right time. And that fascinated me. And then from working with over 800 industries, I started to realize that there was patterns that would repeat themselves. Didn't matter whether you had a retail store or whether you were responding to an online lead inquiry or whether you were looking to be able to convince uh, you know, a, a giant team full of your people to behave in a different way. The same sequences of words would start to drive the same kinds of results. And looking at this minutia indifference, I was like, this is cool. And uh, even back in my early training programs is people wanted to run away from the fact that they were selling anything. And so I delivered a ton of programs that were sales skills to non-salespeople, whether that was um, you know, telephone call centers and customer service or whether it was um, retail store assistants that were looking to, be able to help people with their transaction or professional advisors that were accountants and solicitors and architects helping them to be able to develop skills in a sales environment. And often the sprinkling that I would give to them on the top of all of the core foundational knowledge was these sequences of words. In this scenario, don't say that, say this. In this scenario, don't say that, say this. In this scenario, don't say that, say this. And everybody loved it. And it started to become my signature pieces, not because I decided it was, but because they decided it was. Mm. And then I've just lent in and I've ridden that way further and further and further. And now I've got a little tiny book that you can read in an hour um, that has sold almost a million copies, which I think is still flabbergasting. How um, you, there's, there's so much in that uh, that could be unpacked. And the one thing that, that speaks to me the most is um, the, when you're speaking to and knowing what to say so many times, you're, 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 uh, responding um, or, and or coming at somebody and saying, hey, here's, here's what I have to offer. Um, where is the humanness in that? Where's, and as you, you may or may not know, H to H, human human is my thing. And so understanding like the, the, exactly what to say, the, 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 the scripted nature of it, from what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, to the humanness of the natural response. How do you see that well, balance? Yeah. Let me jam this in the other direction with you, is give me all the reason why a script is a bad idea. Things that jump to mind in your head. Why is a script a bad idea? What are the risks in a script? What's a script? Why is it a bad idea? Yeah. Just, just yeah. Get, let, let's get all the negative reasons out. Okay. Yeah. So when I, well, actually I scripted my, my TED talk and it was until I gave it, it was horrible. And when I spoke from my heart, 
it was it was much more endearing. Sure. Um, so well, now okay. this ironizing is, is when potentially a bad idea. What do people not like about scripts? Let's get that list down. That's a good question. So scripting uh, doesn't allow you to go outside the lines. So no freedom to go outside the lines. Okay. Right. Potentially sounds canned. Can sound like you're reading. Yes. It doesn't sounds show like maybe other other somebody else's words. No flexibility. It could not sound like you. Right. These are all valid valid reasons. Not only that is like it could just sound a little false. Yeah. Right. It, it doesn't fit every set of circumstances. Therefore, it's a bad idea because you could be trying to shoe something in that doesn't really belong there. Right. These are all the reasons why not. Yeah. Next question I have for you, Brian, is have you ever seen a movie and cried? Say it again. Have you seen a movie and cried? Oh, and cried. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was an actor reading a script. Yeah. Now, the director and the producer and the writer didn't say, hey, what I'm looking to try and convey here is a moment that kind of inspires boom, 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 figure it out. They said, say this, and the result of which was quite profound. Here's what happens, though, is when an actor knows their lines and doesn't read their lines, what they have the ability to be able to do is they be able to read between the lines, quite literally, right? they can actually show up with a greater level of presence because they're not in the head thinking, what do I need to say? They're thinking, how do I need to say this to convey the emotion that sits alongside it? What you also then learn as you study is that often some of the best moments that have appeared in movies have appeared when the actor went off script. Now, the only reason they had the ability to go off script is because there was a script for them to be able to ad lib to in the moment. And because that they could then come back to the script, uh, what they then had was the ability to be able to show up to that moment with more authenticity because they had structure that gave them freedom. That's, that's the exactly, Wow. I think I just, you just blew my mind. That, that's exactly what happened with my talk. Yeah. Yeah. So the work is being done in writing the script so you can serve the moment more often. Now, an actor has to be someone else. What you and everybody else needs to be is yourself. So if you write your script as opposed to borrowing somebody else's script, then what happens is for every moment that matters in your life, you can show up. My belief is that everybody listening to this podcast right now has documents on their hard drive or in their Dropbox that when a certain moment appears in their business or their personal life, they do a version of copy and paste edit the pieces that they need to, to evolve, to create efficiencies with a core piece of communication that shows up on a regular basis. They have it in written documents. And almost none of those people do it in spoken word. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yep. Guilty over here. And it doesn't mean that you're cheating. It means that you actually care more about the moment to say, I did some work ahead of time to serve this moment to say, I've got my fundamentals in place so I can show up the, for the moment with more intent. Okay. Just a 1% difference. That's it right there. Well, that's the show. Thanks everybody. For <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you also write in your book about, I'm guessing you haven't got around to. And, um, and that that actually was one of my, my favorite chapters because it's, it's that one, for me, it's that one shift of actually following up or, or, or not guessing that somebody didn't do the thing you asked them to do 
the way you write, write, write about it was so, um, it's like common sense, but also it's like, you're right. That is the one thing that we just forget to do. I, I'm a student of Dale Carnegie's work. And if you study the word choices and exactly what to say, every single one of them is an example of a principle that is written about in a far larger capacity by somebody that is more scholarly than I am in every single one of them. So I could deep root every single one of them back towards psychological uh, traits, towards bigger thinking, human behavioral um, beliefs. But I figure that it's better to give people an example of exactly what works and then allow them to figure out the principle afterwards than to teach them the big principle and allow them to figure out their own examples. The example of I'm guessing you haven't got around to is really taken from the principle that was taught to me in Carnegie's work, which is to allow the other person to save face. Like in any given argumentative scenario, which following somebody up under the belief and premise that they haven't done what you said you were going to do is argumentative in its very nature, is if you enter into that conversation allowing the other person to save face, you've diffused the argument before there's an argument. There's now no need for them to be able to respond, react, reply in a negative way. They don't have to be able to make up an excuse right now because you gave them the excuse. Guess what happened? You can now get to the most important thing, which is, okay, are they now prepared to take the action that they didn't already do? Can we now get to step two as opposed to arguing why step one wasn't being done? And it's so easy to be able to bring into a follow-up conversation. I'm guessing you haven't got around to reading my email properly yet. I'm guessing you haven't got around to scheduling a date for us to get started. I'm guessing you haven't got around to completing that review you promised. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's a really easy way to say, come on, you're better than that, without saying, come on, you're better. Yeah, in, in my religion, we call that Jewish guilt. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're, what you're saying. Um, and actually, it's a more subtle way of saying something and, and alleviating the situation, um, allowing them to uh, create a conversation that still keeps things equal and even, right? Yeah, well... Not necessarily equal and even. It keeps everybody in play. Nobody has their back against the wall. I don't know if anything ever is equal and even. I think Mm. that we are looking for a to-me-to-you tennis-type environment where actually that pendulum is permanently swinging. But what I haven't done is I haven't slammed the pendulum all the way in the other direction, feeling the other person has nowhere to play. I've just nudged it, knowing that they now feel the motivation that says, I got to nudge this back. And that's where stuff gets done that's where the magic happens. And the ability to be mildly aggravating without pushing to the point of being like like annoying is how you get responses. And it isn't necessarily saying that I'm pushy, I'm persistent, I'm a pest. It's having a strong enough relationship to be able to ask the questions of people they're not prepared to ask themselves. Mm. You've done it with kids in the past, right? You tidied your room. Yeah, yeah, I've tidied my room. Like, yeah, but have you really tidied your room? Well, I, 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 I made the bed. So if I go up there right now, right, like, like it's a different level of calling somebody out. Mm. Hey, look, I'm guessing you haven't got around to tidying your room properly yet, right? Well, like, I, you're right. Yeah, I'll get it done this afternoon. Okay, cool. Well, as long as next time I go up there, your room is looking perfect, then I'm good with that. I won't be going up there for another hour or so. You got this, right? <laughs> Been there. <laughs> that, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the other thing I wanted to uh, talk about, just uh, or the last thing I wanted to bring up was just the motivation behind 
um, the shift that happens or the even just the motivation that happens behind the conversation. Because oftentimes, um, you talked about this before, when you're acting and you're carrying a script, that's one thing. But when the actor actually makes you believe, they have embodied the character. They, get, they, have, they believe what they are saying. So many times we hear somebody, especially in sales, talk about um, talk about something, and it's so the the energy isn't there. It's not believable. Yeah. It's even though they're saying the right things. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, and I've been there. I've been there in my own professional career, where through a change in environmentally environmental circumstances. Something that was a brilliant thing to be selling on a Monday was something I wasn't happy giving away by the Friday. And and that happens. And and your results suffer instantaneously. If I was to look back on this and to try and summarize it for others, it summarizes quite simply as if you're not convinced, you can't convince. You must have that full belief that what you're asking somebody to, certainly in in a commercial decision, is what you're asking somebody to pay for the thing that you're asking for is worth it and some, if you don't believe that, you have no right to expect somebody else to. And, you know, we see this particularly in the speaking profession when people are trying to ask for fees is they haven't done the work to understand why they might be worth it. That's why they can't ask for their fee because they don't truly understand the commercial impact that their impact could have on an organization. And if you don't understand that, you don't know your worth. And my big, big belief is that people get paid a fraction of what they're worth. So if you can get clear on what you're worth to the moment, not what you believe you're worth, what you're worth to the moment that you're serving, then you can always ask for a fraction of that and there's a good percent, good possibility you'll get it. But if you believe your worth is something attached towards your own belief system and your abilities and your skill, you're missing the point. Best basketball player on the world isn't going to get paid the same sum of money to shoot hoops in a, you know, in a, in a playground. But your ability to be able to score a match-winning point with 30,000 people watching in an arena and 3 million people watching around the world and a load of sponsorship endorsements attached to that, they're kind of worth it. And I did a chunk of work in the world of professional sport. I was commercial director for two Premier League soccer clubs. And people would say to me all the time, dang, that play is not worth that money. I'm like, I think what you mean is you're disappointed with how they performed on Saturday. Because I tell you right now, I'm looking at the balance sheet. They're worth it. I agree with you, though. What they did on Saturday was terrible. But don't tell me they're not worth it because I got the data here to say they are. Oh, wow. Um, well, there's there's only, uh, I don't know, four books, through, however many books here, 59 countries, so many, so much here to, to cover of experience and, and, um, and, and incredible uh, lessons on how to do this. And so we're going to link to all your books and link to all your resources and make sure that everybody knows how to find you. And, and, um, and I, I can't wait to uh, continue to see what you, how you unfold and increase your own worth. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. 
And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.